0: Welcome back. We're so glad you're joining us this morning. And we just want to welcome you. Uh, And we also want to just take some time this morning to come uh, with expectancy. Uh, I so believe that the Holy Spirit wants to uh, meet with you this morning. That, you know, He's not limited by location. And He will come and He will fill your living room this morning. Uh, So we're just going to start by praying and just welcoming the Holy Spirit into wherever you are, wherever you're meeting this morning, so let's do that right now. Jesus, we just give you thanks, we give you praise, we thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you this morning into the room. Come and be the heart revealer. Reveal your heart to us. Just speak to us and give us clarity this morning. I ask that you would awaken and refresh us this morning. With your presence that you just fill each house, each room. Uh, and just encounter and touch each person this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today I want to tackle episode 4 of our resurrection series i want to start with the question of where is god you know i think oftentimes when we face pressure and trial uh, the question that often we can go to is where is god in this situation where is he when i can't pay my bills where is he when my health isn't 100% where is he when when my marriage or my relationships feel like they're falling apart Where is he when I feel lonely? When I feel overwhelmed by my workload? Where is he when somebody I love is hurting? And you know, right now we have a unique opportunity to really uh, dive into this question with everything that's going on, you know, sometimes in the regular life in just the chaos that, you know, of running to, to sports practices for kids or running to and from work or going to dinners or going to uh, friend's houses, which right now we're all missing. But sometimes in that, we don't get the chance to really take stock of some of these big questions. We get caught up in life and we forget that that there's actually more going on. There's questions that that we can actually dive into and and take stock of, of where we are at with these things. And it's nothing like a little bit of pressure to start revealing those questions in our heart. As we look at the resurrection, you see... The thing about this question of where is God? While it feels like the biggest question of the day, I wonder if maybe it's not actually the real question we need to be asking ourselves. Because it's, a, it's actually a very easy question to answer. Because of the resurrection... Jesus has made it possible for God to be with us always by the Holy Spirit. And so the the answer to the question is, where is God? The answer is he's walking right next to you. He is right beside you right now. He's in the room with you, waiting to meet with you. And so I think maybe the question that we need to be asking in all of this is, where am I? How is my heart doing? Am I discouraged? Am I overwhelmed? We need to actually take the time to say, Holy Spirit, can you show me where my heart is at? Because there's nothing like a little pressure to reveal things in our hearts that that maybe we've been ignoring in the chaos and the busyness. Maybe we haven't wanted to, to admit to. We haven't wanted to look at. Guess what? Those things come out in trial. And, and we actually have an opportunity to look at those. And I want to look this morning at a story uh, from Luke chapter 24. It's known as the, the road to Emmaus. Uh, now Jesus has, uh, three days ago in this story, has died on the cross. His disciples have seen uh, him die. And as we talked about last week, Mary went to the tomb uh, early Sunday morning, and discovered that the tomb was empty. And in Luke, right after that story, comes the, the road to Emmaus. Now, some uh, some translations say that it's about uh, six miles. Some say that it's 17 miles. Either way, uh, it w- there was a, a place outside of Jerusalem called Emmaus, and, and it, the root of Emmaus is the burning place. Uh, there were a couple different places in Israel called Emmaus. Uh, some of them were actually known for their hot springs. And so, but we know that, that the root of this word is this idea of a burning place. And so we don't know uh, exactly the, the exact location they were going to, but we know uh, that this was outside Jerusalem, that these were disciples, followers of Jesus. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 11. Of Luke 24 it says later that Sunday two of Jesus disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus a journey about 17 miles they were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey they were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them for God prevented them from recognizing it. I just want to pause there for a second. Do you notice where Jesus was in this story? He was right beside them. He accompanied them on the journey. And man, I think there's some of you that some of you today that need to hear that that Jesus is walking, he's accompanying you on the journey you're in. Whether you recognize him or not, he is with you. All right, we're going to keep going. And Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. And they stopped and the one named Cleopas Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? And Jesus asked, what things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful, and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. And they claimed an angel appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the woman had said. But no one has seen him. Now in this moment of this story, you can almost feel the disciples' disappointment. They had put their hopes in Jesus as the Messiah, the one who was going to rescue them. They had given up years of their life to follow him. They, they, didn't, uh, they didn't diversify. They put all their eggs in this basket. And here they were walking along the way to Emmaus, having this big discussion about what's next. What are we actually doing? How, is this, how are we moving forward? What's next for us now? After all, everything that we thought was coming has just been upended and disrupted. What we thought life was going to look like has been disrupted. And it threw them into confusion and discouragement. It says that they were sad and gloomy. And I think that was an understatement. You can, and, then, and then you can just imagine, the, the women come and tell them, Jesus isn't in his tomb. And the confusion that that would add, you know, do we, do we get our hopes up again? After all, oh, just three days ago, our hopes were smashed to pieces. It, it's too painful to hope again, to believe for something better. And so you can, you can sense this, this pulling in two directions that these disciples are facing. One, they had hope and yet were feeling discouragement. They had hope that things were going to get better. And yet what they had seen pulled them into discouragement. And then again, hope is presented by the women who discovered that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. But this time, they're less uh, excited about jumping in and grabbing hold of that. This was their struggle. In verse 25, it says, Jesus said to them, Why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets had spoken? Wasn't it necessary for Christ the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and then afterward enter his glory? Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about him. And as they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going on to a distant place. And they urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us. It will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village, joining them at the table for supper. He took bread and he blessed it and broke it. And then he gave it to them. And all at once their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. And stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures, and they left at once and hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. When they found the eleven and the other disciples all together, they overheard them saying, "It's really true, the Lord has risen from the dead." He even appeared to Peter. Then two disciples told the others, then the two disciples told the others what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus, and how Jesus had unveiled himself as he broke bread with them. As these disciples wrestled with their disappointment, they had resigned themselves to viewing Jesus just as a good prophet, when before this they had believed he was Messiah. Messiah. They were devastated. They, there was a pause on everything in life. And during this pause, they decided to go for a walk. They were going to figure out what's next. You see, this is what we're getting at this morning. Here's the main point. In trials, God refines us so that he can reveal himself to us. You see, it was in the face of the disciples' greatest discouragement... That they were about to encounter their greatest revelation. So often we think we are the ones waiting on God. Where is God in this situation? We think we're waiting for Him to show up. But I would wager that far more often He is waiting on us. He's waiting on, on us to awaken, on us to rise up as the church on us to to pay attention to the fact that He is walking alongside of us in every single moment of the journey. Like a good father, He doesn't uh, have us avoid trials and hardships, but instead He he takes us through them. He actually walks with us through them. Like a father teaching uh, a child how to to ride a bike or how to swim for the first time. You see, we often think, well, God should just, should just, I I should never go through any hardship because I have Jesus. But the reality is that it is in hardship that he walks alongside us. He walks through it with us. But in this moment, I just want us to imagine this for a second. Here's Jesus. Jesus who has just won the greatest victory in all of history. He has defeated death. He's come back from the grave. He's endured the suffering of the cross and has come out victorious. He is ecstatic. And yet when he shows up to his disciples, he shows up in disguise. He hides himself. And then when they stop, he pretends like he's going to keep going. He even, he even acts as though he has no idea what they're talking about when it comes to all the events that have happened in Jerusalem. He's playing what could be described as the greatest joke on his disciples. Disguising himself, only to have himself revealed as he breaks bread and then disappears. It's incredible. I love this revelation about who God is in this passage. But the other thing is that Jesus hides himself for a reason. You see, I believe that if he would have shown up in the, in the manner that they expected to see him, where they would have been able to recognize him, they would have been so caught up in, wow, this is amazing, but now life is back to, to normal. We can go back with the plan that we had. And they would have missed the revelation of Jesus. See, because what it says is he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. Had he appeared in a way that they would would recognize him, their hearts would not have been ready to receive the revelation he was about to give them. I want to let you know this, that when Jesus hides himself, it's so that he can bring an even greater revelation of himself to us. When we don't recognize Jesus walking with us, it's because he's about to reveal himself in an incredible way. When he doesn't provide the way we think he should, when he doesn't heal the way we think he should, when he doesn't deliver the way we think he should, when he doesn't show up the way we think he should, it doesn't mean that he's not present. What it means he is, He's fixing to uh, bring a revelation of His nature, of who He is, of His Word, to our lives, in an even greater measure. You see, resurrection power has a way of breaking into our lives in unforeseen ways. And, and in this passage it says that after Jesus disappears... The disciples, the first they're stunned, and then it says, Why didn't we recognize him? Didn't our hearts burn with flames of holy passion while he walked beside or while he we walked beside him? What if in the midst of trials and, and hard times? What if the better question that we should be asking is, How is my heart? Is my heart being ignited with this kind of holy passion? Is my heart set on fire? What if actually the times that we don't see Jesus working in our circumstances, we need to actually look for the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives, igniting our hearts with this kind of fire? Where we don't just look and say, oh, You know, I can't wait till everything's back to normal. Everything's good again. But we actually allow him to highlight things in our lives, in our hearts. See, Jesus, before he did something to their physical eyes, he started opening the eyes of their hearts. The Holy Spirit started igniting a fire in the hearts of the disciples in this moment. Now, I want to ask you today, how is your heart? with everything that's going on? How is your heart? See, in the Psalms it says that His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal to your heart. He wants to awaken the eyes of your heart to see Him even when you don't see Him with your physical eyes. When when you don't see Him breaking in the way that you've believed for. It doesn't mean He's not present. He is still walking alongside of you. And the Holy Spirit is uh, is opening the eyes of our heart to see Him, to have a revelation of who Jesus is in that moment. In trials, God is refining us so that He can reveal Himself to us. You see, fire speaks of a refining process. Gold goes through the fire of refining to remove anything, any impurities. To make it pure. So that it can be set apart for for a greater work. And what happens is when we go through trials, it reveals cracks in our lives. It reveals where our hearts are actually at. Which is why it's such an important question to say, how is my heart? if we are actually doing okay. And I believe that the mark of actually doing okay during a trial is walking through without letting the fire that the Holy Spirit is igniting in our hearts go out. Walking through as ones whose hearts are still on fire. Where we don't get caught up in apathy and, and discouragement. doesn't mean that we're not going to wrestle with those things, but where we refuse to let them steal our fire. You see, we have two responses when we go through trials. We can, we can look at it as a problem. We can blame somebody else. We can uh, say, what's the point and give up? We can wrestle with discouragement. Allow ourselves to be overcome and, and that fire of the Holy Spirit burning in our hearts, what He's speaking, we can allow that to grow cold and burn out. Or... We can recognize it as God using it to refine us, to reveal the cracks, to bring up the things that are impurities in our lives. And it's not a ten-step process to deal with it. It's just a matter of repenting, which means turning directions. You turn to Jesus and you let His words reignite a fire in our hearts. So that we can walk in passion and purity, to actually be holy as He is holy. You see, that's not just a a great idea. God doesn't tell us to be holy because it's something that's not attainable. But He actually tells us to do it because it's something that He is calling us to, and therefore He is equipping us to do it. We are called to live in holiness. See, holiness isn't phony or fake, it's set apart. It's, it's actually about being the most authentic and real version of yourself. Taking off the mask. But it's not just, this is who I am, you better deal with it, with all my flaws and failures. It's actually about allowing His resurrection power to manifest in your life so that the person you once were isn't the person you are anymore. And people actually see those effects. It's not about excusing our faults and failures because of grace but it's about moving closer to who Jesus is becoming more like him by his word spoken in our hearts and God uses trials as an opportunity for that holiness to take root in our lives to reawaken by his word to awaken our hearts with a burning passion and a fire to walk with him So how is your heart? See, the answer to that question, how am I doing, should never be circumstantial. It should always be about how is my heart? Where am I at with Jesus today? Where am I at with with His Word in my life? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Am I... Uh, full of joy? Am I burning with passion? Am I living passionately or am I just existing? Oftentimes, in trials, when we feel like we're pressed and everything around us is weighing heavy, we allow our hearts not to be doing so well. We allow the weight of the circumstances around us to bury the passion we once walked in. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. What they had once believed, they allowed the trials and situation that they were going through, everything that had just happened in the last three days, to shift their perspective. And it took Jesus coming and walking alongside them and and refreshing their perspective, reigniting their hearts with a burning passion. And so maybe the question isn't uh, just about how I'm doing uh, externally. But maybe the way to evaluate is that, am I still living passionately? Do I still burn with the same passion that I did at first? Am I still passionate about loving people? About sharing about Jesus? About living out resurrection life every single day? Am I still passionate about walking in holiness and purity? Or have I let that slide for something that's, that's just maybe a little bit less? Am I reflecting Jesus to the world? Or have I partnered with apathy? Have I allowed myself to become complacent? Has that fire that I once had burnt cold? And am I using grace as an excuse to stay there? How is your heart? In 2 Timothy uh, 1, 9 and 10, this is what it says. It says, He gave us resurrection life and drew us to Himself by His holy calling on our lives. And it wasn't because of any good we had done, but by His divine pleasure and marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. Now, I know how easy it can be to, to wrestle with guilt to feel like we're not doing enough or, or I'm not who I should be or, uh, you know, oh man, I screwed up again. According to the verse we just read, it is not by anything that we have done that we, re- that we receive this resurrection life. He didn't call us because of what we had done. He's under no... Uh, confu- he's not, Jesus isn't confused about who you are about what you've done. And yet he still calls you, invites you into resurrection life because of his divine pleasure and his marvelous grace. So guilt actually has no place in your life. Condemnation has no place because it's not about what you did. And so I want to challenge you this morning that if you're wrestling with guilt when it comes to your faith and your walk with Jesus, or just in your life in general, Maybe it's because you've partnered with works righteousness, that you're believing that you're actually approved before God by what you did. But it's not. It's about His grace and His calling and His divine pleasure. Then in verse 10 it says, This truth is now being unveiled by the revelation of the anointed Jesus, our life giver who has dismantled death, obliterated all its effects on our lives, and has manifested His immortal life in us by the gospel. You see, it's by his gospel that he reveals resurrection life in us, in our lives, that it's actually revealed to the world, not by anything that you've done. It's him who does it. If you look at the story of the disciples on the way to Emmaus, I, I mentioned at the beginning that Emmaus means burning place. And I think often we can try and get to that burning place, igniting our hearts on our own. We take the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We do all the work. We try and put in all the time. But it wasn't, in in, in this story, it wasn't until Jesus spoke that the disciples' hearts were set on fire. They were on their way to the burning place, but it wasn't until he spoke that their hearts were burning. And it's the same for us. It's not about the work we do it's about the words he speaks to our hearts. That's where, that's where we're ignited with passion. That's where our hearts burn within us. But now, it's, it's not just staying there. It's not just saying, okay, well, he's dealt with my heart, so I'm good. Jesus didn't just, uh, he, he showed priority in that he revealed, before he revealed himself to the disciples physically, he revealed himself to their hearts. But he didn't stop there. He dealt with the physical as well. He didn't just disappear, uh, continuing on his way after he had explained to them, uh, revealing himself through through Scripture. Afterwards, he revealed himself to their physical eyes. He manifested in their situation in a way that they recognized him. So how do we become more passionate? Or maybe the better question is, how do we maintain the passion of the the, the burning fire that we had at one time? How do we not partner with apathy and complacency and how do we actually live as humans fully alive? Not just existing, but actually taking hold of every moment, of living life to its fullest. How do we do that in the midst of a virus? How do we do that in the midst of quarantine? Number one, we have to let Jesus speak. We need to get into his word. We need to allow his word, what he says, to saturate our hearts. We need to check, we need to allow him to reveal what's going on in our hearts and then to address that and to speak to those things, to set our hearts on fire. The passage of the road to Emmaus, the disciples had confirmation with each other. Both their hearts were burning with the words that Jesus was speaking and so when Jesus speaks to you, check it with somebody. Because if it's really what he's speaking, their hearts will burn as well. Number two, steward the word that he's saying. We need to cultivate our hearts to be a place where we make sure that our, our hearts keep burning. That's our responsibility. To cultivate our hearts into a place by, uh, where, where what he's saying carries the highest weight. Uh, in Timothy, in First Timothy, one eighteen and nineteen, Paul speaking to Timothy, and Timothy was a leader in the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul sent him there to to grow the church and to build up the church. And so he says in verse eighteen: "So Timothy, my son, I am entrusting you with this responsibility, in keeping with the very first pro- prophecies that were spoken over your life, and are now in the process of fulfillment." in this great work of ministry in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you with this encouragement use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience the words God speaks they ignite a fire inside of us but they're actually meant to be weapons of warfare We need to to steward what God says in our lives in such a way where we are remembering them continuously. You see, the enemy would love nothing more. If he can't pull you into sin, he would love nothing more than to pull you into complacency and apathy. To take away the fire. Unpassionate believers hold no threat to the kingdom of darkness, to the gates of hell. If he can trap us in complacency and apathy, he can keep the church from moving forward. But when we remember the words spoken over us, the things that made our hearts burn, the things the Holy Spirit awakes inside of us, the prophecies over our lives, the words that, that when you're reading scripture, something just jumps off the page and just anchors itself to your mind and to your heart, and you just feel that burning inside of you of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. We need to cultivate our hearts so that those things are allowed to to take precedence in our lives. But then also we need to use those as weapons of warfare. When the enemy says, that's not who you are. When he tries to discourage you, when he tries to, to crush you, You hold up those words and you say, this is what Jesus says. And you fan into flames, you you fan the flames of the fire burning inside of you. And number three, we need to act on it. You see, there's a physical aspect of a heart awakened. God doesn't just awaken our hearts and then we just sit there and be like, oh great, I have an awakened heart. No, there's a, a physical side to being awakened to being passionate. Did, did you ever meet a passionate person? I, I've met a few and passionate people don't just sit on the sidelines. They don't just sit there thinking, oh, you know, I'm really passionate about this but I'm not going to talk about it. No, a passionate person. The, 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 the passion that is in their hearts, the fire that's burning there has to come out. Paul says, use your prophecies as weapons. Don't just sit on them and remember them. Yes, do that, but also use them as weapons against the work of the enemy. Uh, James In James 1.22, he says, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is the, a- the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If we are actually walking in resurrection power, there is going to be a physical response. Not a guilt response, not doing it because we feel we have to. We're going to do it because the fire burning inside of us will not allow us just to sit idly by. Will not let us partner with apathy or complacency. James actually says it's the essence of self-deception. When we listen to the word of truth, when we listen to what Jesus is saying, when He speaks to our hearts and our hearts burn within us and then we don't do anything. There is a physical response. There's a moving with the Holy Spirit. It's not about doing everything, but it's about, Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do today? And then going and doing that. Holy Spirit, who are you asking me to call today? And then going and doing that. Holy Spirit, who are you asking me to serve today? There is, like I said before, there is no room for guilt in resurrection life. But grace should never be our excuse to ignore the Holy Spirit and live in apathy. A heart on fire always has a physical action to it. Church, in trials... God refines us so that he can reveal himself to us. This morning, maybe you're joining us for the first time. Maybe you've been coming to church and and hearing messages. Maybe you've been hearing my messages for for years, for months. But I believe this morning that God wants to awaken something in you. He wants to give the pain that you've been going through a purpose. He wants your life to be a place where His resurrection power is evident to the world. It's evident that it would be evident to you. He wants to walk alongside you. He wants to reveal Himself to you. He wants to set your heart on fire this morning. And if you've never come and given your life over to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. It's so easy. It's just coming before Him and saying, Jesus, I accept your invitation. And I'm sorry for every time where I've partnered with anything else, where I've tried to make something else, where I've tried to be Lord of my life. I turn away from my wrong choices, from trying to think that I know best, and I turn to what you have for me. He has such an incredible call on your life. And we can't sit idly by in apathy. There's people around you who need to hear the good news of the resurrected Christ. To experience that kind of power in your life. So that you can invite them to have that kind of power in their life. I want to close with this. How is your heart Take stock of that. Where are you at? Where is your passion level at? Where is your passion meter at? And finally, Jesus is not coming back for a scared bride, nor for sleeping beauty. He is coming back for a beautiful bride. And that beautiful bride will be revealed in the refining. As Jesus refines the church, as Jesus refines you and I, and then reveals himself to us, and then reveals himself through us, there is so much more that he wants to do in your life during this time. So let's do it together. Let's pray. Just as we pray, I want to. I want to invite you. If if this has spoken to you this morning, if you've been wrestling with apathy, with a feeling just a, a reduced passion, I want to pray over you, and I want us to take the time to actually spend time repenting. We think of that as a, a scary word, but it's so not. It's such a it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a freeing thing where we just allow the Holy Spirit to reveal in us where we're actually at and then we repent for anything we need to and we turn to Him and allow Him to refresh the the fire in our hearts. So if that's you this morning, wherever you are, just stand up. I don't need to see it, but, but God sees your heart. And I'm going to pray over you. Jesus, you see each person. You see their hearts better than they see them. And you're speaking to them right now. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you're awakening us again. That it's not by anything we've done, but you're pouring your resurrection power and your resurrection life into our lives. Because of your mercy and your good pleasure. We thank you that you're going to reveal yourself in even greater measure. And I just, we just take time right now. Jesus, we just say we're sorry for those things that you're highlighting in our lives. Anything that we've allowed to detract from what you're saying, to, to put out the fire in our lives, in our hearts, we just lay them down before you. We say we're sorry, we repent, and we turn away from them and we turn to you, Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for joining us. If you want to give this morning, you can do that through the links uh, on this page or through the links on our website or through e-transfer or a check in the mail. Uh, if you chose this morning to give your life to Jesus for the first time, we want to hear about it. We want to know, and we want to get you connected with some resources. Uh, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands uh, and get you connected with uh, a house church, some people who can encourage you on your journey. So please reach out to us. You can use the form uh, on our website or the form above, uh, the connect form, contact form, or you can go to communitygospelchapel.com/welcome and just let us know there. Uh, Or let us know in the chat. Uh, Bless you guys. Have an awesome week.